0: Support for WABE comes from Virtual Imaging, providing proactive medical diagnostics to catch deadly or debilitating diseases early, using state-of-the-art equipment to detect warning signs or offer peace of mind. You can take charge of your health at virtualimagingatl.com. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we.
1: Rob Duffy is sipping a margarita on the quaint town square in Alpharetta. The
2: margaritas are excellent, (laughs) so if nothing else, we got a good margarita.
1: He's wearing a peach-shaped I'm a Georgia voter sticker, and he just cast his vote for Republican Governor Brian Kemp. Duffy voted for Donald Trump in 2016 and 2020,
0: but Trump's endorsement of former U.S. Senator David Perdue, who's challenging Kemp in the primary, doesn't sway him.
2: Trump has spent months spreading false claims about the 2020 election. Duffy says it's time to move on.
0: It's a bit of a turnoff at this point. Why, Why are we looking back at this point? I think it's deterring our efforts in the Republican Party to move forward.
1: Tuesday's primary might begin to answer some big questions. Questions about the political direction of this state. The future of
0: the Republican Party. And the health of our democracy. The most watched battleground for all of this might be the GOP primary for governor. The primary is testing
1: Trump's hold on the party.
2: I like President Trump, but he can say some pretty mean things
0: and I don't always agree with what he says.
1: And whether false claims about election fraud embraced by Purdue are resonating.
0: I think to a small segment of the Republican Party, it really matters, but I think they're ultimately a loud minority. I mean, I I drove all over the state and I think I saw two Biden signs and yet he won. Meanwhile, Democrats are making tough choices in some primaries of their own, including a matchup pitting two incumbent members of Congress against each other in the Atlanta suburbs.
1: We're talking about three
2: strong, intelligent, powerful ladies. Um, So I really haven't made a decision. What does primary day in Georgia have in store? I'm Susanna Capelluto, politics editor at WABE in
0: Atlanta. I'm Sam Greenglass,
1: politics reporter at WABE. And I'm Raul
0: Bally, also a politics reporter for WABE. Emma Hurd of Axios Atlanta is away this week. And this is Georgia Votes 2022, a campaign podcast from WABE.
2: I vote because it's a privilege. I vote because I want to make an impact. I vote on my local because team. I want leaders who care about voting my future. Voting is the gift of so freedom. So voting matters to me because I believe there is value in my voice. The number of days till the primary is in single digits. Friday is the last day of early voting. Today, we're going to break down four big things we're watching on Tuesday night. And let's start with the big one, Trump's endorsements. Raul, recap the extent to which Trump has gotten involved in Georgia's
0: primaries, and what's on the line here? So, Susanna, by my count, former President Trump has gotten involved in 10 races, and they break down into three quick groups. First, candidates challenging incumbents, most notably David Perdue challenging Governor Brian Kemp, and Congressman Jody Heist challenging Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. Then you've got the endorsement in races with no incumbent, notably Herschel Walker in the U.S. Senate, Burg Jones for Lieutenant Governor, and Vernon Jones in the 10th Congressional District. Then there's also been endorsements of incumbent members of Congress, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Andrew Clyde. What has become clear to me talking to voters is there is not a clear pro-Trump wing and a GOP establishment wing. You know, when you talk to voters, there are some that are 100% in the Trump camp, 100% the election was stolen in 2020, and won't vote for camp now or in the fall. But there are a lot of Trump supporters who are voting for Governor Kemp, despite what the former president is saying. There are plenty of Republican primary voters casting a ballot, a mix of pro Trump and establishment candidates for a range of reasons. So, next Wednesday, the day after the election, is going to be interesting. You know, if there's no election or voting issues, to hear the spin from all sides of Tuesday's results.
2: You know, and as we've said, this test may be most pronounced in the governor's race in which Trump has spurred a challenge to the sitting Republican governor. Sam, what are you hearing from voters about how Trump is factoring into their decision?
1: So let me just point to some of the tape that we heard in the top of this episode. Um, This was the clip from Linda Dickerson. I met her at an apple orchard rally for Kemp in Elegy that's up in North Georgia. She was the one that's talking about how she really likes Trump. She just sometimes disagrees with what he says. Well, Dickerson is voting for Kemp. She supports him vigorously. And even though she still likes Trump, has positive feelings about him, she says she's not going to vote for someone for governor of Georgia just because Trump says so. Um, Dickerson says she's actually been really happy with Kemp's record as governor, especially how he handled the economy during the pandemic and keeping small businesses open. And for Dickerson and many other Republicans in this state, Trump's endorsement is just not a good enough reason to abandon a sitting Republican governor that by and large they've been pretty happy with.
0: And I want to mention the Fox News poll that came out this week of Republican voters in Georgia. And just going beyond the numbers, going inside the data, there's a specific question that was asked by the pollsters about the effect of Trump's endorsement. Does it make you more supportive of David Perdue? 37% said the Trump endorsement made him more supportive of Perdue. But now listen to these next two numbers. 24% said less and 36% said there was no effect. 60% of voters did not look, and these are Republican voters in Georgia, did not look at the Trump endorsement as, as a game changer. So that's interesting to see you know, how that shakes out in the final results and to see if we get data down ballot in those other nine races of what the Trump endorsement meant here in Georgia.
1: And I also wonder how much of this is the power of incumbency, like we heard from Linda Dickerson talking about Kemp's record and how she's appreciated how he's handled his office as governor. You know, Kemp is already in office, but in Pennsylvania, which had uh, their primary earlier this week, they elected the Trump-endorsed candidate, uh, and that's an open GOP field. There's no Republican incumbent. So I wonder how much that incumbency factor comes into play here, too.
0: And that's why I broke down the Trump endorsements into those three groups, the groups of challenging incumbents, open races, and then, of course, the two sitting members of Congress. I think that's going to be part of the spin on election night and the day after as well.
2: Now, while Purdue has gotten help from Trump, Kemp is rolling out a lineup of establishment Republicans, including former Vice President Mike Pence, who is coming to Atlanta to campaign with him on Monday night. What message do you think they're trying to send out to
0: the Republican Party? So Susanna, I did talk to a couple of voters in Hall County this past weekend at a Kemp event. Look, Pence is a trusted voice among social and Christian conservatives. And yes, he's part of the established wing of the party. You know, you also had Kemp bring out Doug Ducey. That's what he, where it was in Hall County. I know uh, Sam followed uh, from former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie uh,
1: with Governor Kemp. I did not have that on my 2022 midterms bingo card, let me just say. <laughs> Chris Christie on the campaign trail. All of them are making
0: the argument that Kemp has done the work on issues that Republicans talk about before elections. And the other thing I noticed, they're not talking about Donald Trump at these rallies. So it really is. You have these voices coming in to make the argument that Kemp has done the work and that's why you should vote for him. You you just shouldn't just throw him out because this person's supporting or that's supporting. It's because Kemp has done the work that Republicans want done.
1: And, you know, Raul, you mentioned that the name Donald Trump doesn't come up at these rallies. I asked Governor Kemp and former Governor Christie specifically about what message are they trying to send by kind of Congregating all of these Republican governors together, uh, and you know, it almost seems like they're trying to take back or lay claim to the party that Trump has such a tight grip on for so many of the last years. And even in their answer, they did not say the word Donald Trump. So uh, it, it's it's almost like they're trying to send a very subtle message without saying the quiet part out loud. The reason I'm here is because we need great governors around this country
0: experienced smart tough governors and that's going to make the republican party better up and down the ticket in every state where we compete and he sets a great example for other candidates for governor around the country where we're trying to take states back about how it is you win and you win by being yourself by being authentic and by making tough decisions that's the way brian kemp has done it and that's why i'm here there are people who are making the argument about the former president and pushing back directly against a former president and one of those people is outgoing lieutenant governor jeff duncan i recently talked to him in his state capitol office and he believes that message is slowly making inroads the end of the day we cannot run this country on twitter
1: we cannot run this country on 10, se- 10 second sound bites we have to run this country on the policies that make sense and i think the world is stronger when america leads and right now we're not leading on anything we're we're following. And uh, I think it's it's a really, really difficult place to be in.
0: And I think the fight over Trump and the direction of the party will be based on the results this fall.
1: And before we move on, just to chime in with some clues about how all of this is playing out in terms of where the race stands right now, with just a couple of days left to go before the final day of voting. Purdue, as you mentioned, Raul, is way down in a recent Fox News poll. He's been down in other polls. He's slowing his spending on things like ads and has a somewhat light public campaign schedule for this being the last stretch of this race. So at least in the governor's race, unless there are some big surprises, I don't wanna make any all-encompassing claims, but we do have some idea of who is winning this argument right now, at least when it comes to who should be the Republican nominee for governor of Georgia. And that brings us to things to watch number two, and that's the salience of false
2: beliefs about the 2020 election as a motivating force for voters. Sam, what do you think?
1: Well, at a Purdue event, at least, this is maybe the motivating force. You know, lots of voters I talk to at Purdue events says that's what hooked them on him in the first place. At a recent Purdue event at a golf course in Ackworth, I met a guy named Cody Oaks. And he's, like many voters, been upset with Kemp's handling of the 2020 election. But the thing that I found interesting is he also admits Inside, he still has some doubts about whether those claims are valid or not. You know, he said he's just heard so much about election fraud from politicians on TV and online that it's hard for him to ignore what they're saying.
0: I'm not I'm not totally sold on it, you know, because I don't I haven't seen seen the facts, you know. But if this isn't true, I feel like Ryan Kemp would be doing everything in his power to to prove that.
1: And to me, this just points to the amount of misinformation and disinformation that's still swirling out there. And then, you know, as Raul mentioned, I've also met plenty of people who are voting for Kemp, who are not swayed by the Trump endorsement, by the claims that Kemp didn't do enough to help overturn the 2020 election. But they are going to vote for Jody Heiss uh, for Secretary of State rather than incumbent Brad Raffensperger. And they laid the blame with Raffensberger, not Kemp, for not doing enough to help Trump Trump swing the election.
2: I didn't like the way he handled the election fraud, so I thought I'd give somebody else a
1: chance. And then at the same time, I have also met Republican voters like Rob Duffy, who we heard from at the very top of this episode, who are very ready to move on from these false claims. Beyond Trump's endorsement, I think I'll be watching most carefully on Tuesday night and beyond do these false claims of election fraud outlived the political power of the man who promoted them, Donald Trump. Rahul, what do you think?
0: I want to take a different approach on this topic. The fight for Georgia's elections will not only be fought at the ballot box, but in courtrooms and state and local agencies. I want to give two examples. First, I was at the Forsyth County Election Board meeting, a heavily Republican county north of Atlanta that has seen massive growth. A man named Frank Schneider challenged the eligibility of 13,000 voters. That's 8% of the registered voters in that Republican county. The majority of his challenge was based on postal service data, matching up, you know, change of address information with voter rolls. In the end, the board unanimously rejected the vast majority of the challenge. The things that were mentioned in the meeting, postal data it, itself was not enough. You could see that the members of the board just weren't in the position just to wipe out thousands of people off the voter rolls this close to the election, that they needed more. They needed more evidence. They needed more proof for them to kick people off the rolls. Then also the second meeting I want to mention, the state election board met. And the most interesting part of that was they took up three ballot harvesting claims from Gwinnett County, and they dismissed all three. You had investigators go out into the field. And in each of the cases, they found out that folks were dropping multiple ballots for family members. So all three of those were dismissed. Look, the Stop the Steal crowd, they're going to be shifting their focus from 2020 to 2022. That's what I see what's happening, whether that's going to be in the upcoming primary or this coming fall. They are coming, and the fight for elections is coming to courts and election boards.
2: All right, now is a good time to take a break. I'm Susanna Capelluto, and this is Georgia Votes 2022.
0: Support for WABE comes from Virtual Imaging. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Utilizing low-dose radiation scans that reveal cancers, cardiac issues, precursors of dementia, and more. Information about early health screenings at virtualimagingatl.com.
2: Welcome back to Georgia Votes 2022, today with Rahul Bali and Sam Greenglass. Now, lots of focus on the Republicans for obvious reasons, but let's not leave out the Democrats. And Sam, there's that contested race in the 7th Congressional District. We've talked a lot about that already, but you've been doing some reporting on how this represents the demise of the competitive congressional district. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, a very small fraction of congressional districts are actually competitive in November. In fact, about half as many are competitive headed into 2022 as they were in the last decade after redistricting. And we can actually see this playing out right here in Atlanta's suburbs. So just to recap, in the 7th Congressional District, this is the race where incumbents Carolyn Bordeaux and Lucy McBath, both Democrats, are running against each other. Also, we should mention State Representative Donna McLeod is in this race, too. McBath currently represents the district next door, the 6th Congressional District, but when Republican lawmakers redrew the maps last year, they made McBath's district a lot more friendly to Republicans. They squeezed as many Democrats as possible into this neighboring 7th Congressional District that is currently represented by Bordeaux. Recap what all that means. Two competitive districts became one very red district in the sixth and one very blue district in the seventh. McBath chose to challenge Bordeaux in the safely blue seat in the seventh rather than run for a district that's now basically designed to elect a Republican. The result of that is one fewer Democrat in Georgia's congressional delegation, most likely, even as they've been growing their political power in the state. And then this also raises a lot of questions about what this means for the functioning of Congress itself, when you have candidates whose most important race is the primary, which might be pulling them either further to the left or further to the right, so they can win that race, rather than having a, a more challenging general election in November. And does that just kind of feed the politicization and the partisanship that and the divides that we've been seeing in this country. Now, Raul, you spent some time in the 7th District. You went to
2: a voter forum at a mosque in Gwinnett County. Are people energized?
0: A couple of observations from that event I went to. There were more than 120 people on a Saturday afternoon. That's actually a really good turnout for the events I've been covering. and And it was quite bipartisan. You had Democratic Congressman Lucy McBath there, there were also Republican candidates for Congress and state legislature. And what I found interesting, and you're asking the question, are people energized and engaged? There were people there who were learning about the basic process, like who's on the ballot in May, who's on the ballot in November, what's up for for people to consider? So I talked to Salik Sohani. He's an organizer with the Georgia Muslim Voter Project, and he explained that within the Muslim community, there's just this wide range of voters.
2: You have people like us who are really civically engaged and, and passionate. And I truly believe that our community is passionate uh, and that we really, we want the best for our community and we want the best for the communities we live in, regardless of who our neighbors are. But then at the same time, we also have to recognize that, for example, there will be uh, that family that came, just a generic family that, that, that came from overseas and they just moved here they're still learning the process. They're still learning the country. They might even be learning English and the different other languages, the many other languages that are spoken in, in the
0: United States. And one other thing that jumped out at me at the event is the Gwinnett County Board of Elections brought a voting machine so people could look at it and touch it and see how the machine worked. and And I saw a couple of people going over there. So my big takeaway is We should also look that there are going to be a chunk of new voters, whether they have just moved to the state or people who've been here for years who are just now getting involved in the process. So I'm seeing engagement on both sides, again, more on the Republican side because you have big races at the top, but you are seeing engagement. And talking
2: about that engagement, it's not yet primary day, but voting has been going on for several weeks now. So what have you guys been watching in those numbers?
1: Well, there has been record early vote turnout, especially from early in-person voting. I think last time I looked at the numbers, which was through Wednesday, the turnout so far was triple the same point in the 2018 midterm. So people are clearly engaged and excited to get out there and vote. The other thing that I'm watching for in this space is that this is the first really big election under SB 202, that massive voting law overhaul that was passed by Republicans in 2021. Lots of changes to early voting, to Dropbox, to absentee ballot rules. And I will continue to be on the lookout for how these changes affected or didn't affect people's ability to vote easily and cast their ballots.
2: Well, before we go, just a reminder that this podcast does not slow down after primary night. Many of these races will head to runoffs in June if candidates don't meet a 50 percent threshold. Of course, we'll be all over the marathon campaign leading up to November. And recently,
1: some news said Georgia might get even more politically important, right? Believe it or not, that is very possible. Uh, Two things that jumped out to me. One is that the Georgia Democratic Party has formally put in a request to the National Democratic Party to vie for being one of the first in the nation presidential primaries in 2024 uh, as the Democratic Party looks to shake up its longstanding calendar that starts with Iowa. Another thing, Mayor Andre Dickens is throwing Atlanta's hat in the ring to host the 2024 DNC, the Democratic National Convention. So even once we get through these midterms, It may not be long before Georgia is once again center of the political universe.
0: Remember, Atlanta and Georgia influences everything. It's a t-shirt. I thought I'd mention it.
2: Well, that's it for this week's episode of Georgia Votes 2022 from WABE. Sam and Raul, hope you get some sleep. (laughs) We'll try. Georgia Votes 2022 is a production of the WABE Politics Desk Check out our other podcasts, including Political Breakfast with WABE's Nisa Ram and political strategist Theron Johnson and Brian Robinson. They will have a live episode next Wednesday, and we'll see you next week.
0: Get ready for My Money Mentors,
2: the new WABE-TV financial literacy series hosted by Jacqueline Shadek and Chris Corinthian and produced with support from Delta Community Credit Union. To learn more, visit wabe.org slash mymoneymentors.